With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's maybe the night that my dreams might let me know. All the stars are closer. All the stars are closer. Tell me what you're going to do to me. Confrontation ain't nothing new to me. You could bring a bullet, bring a sword, bring a morgue, but you can't bring the truth to me. Alexa, play Kendrick Lamar and SZA. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. Because we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number Hello everyone, you're listening to Balvard Radio. My name is Matt Weston, and tonight I'm joined by the biggest, fattest, and drunkest on the ball, BFT. Hey man, how's it going? Woo! Woo! Yeah, I just got really distracted. I'm, I have the window open, this giant hawk flew into the tree in the backyard, and I can't take my eyes off of it. Oh, yeah, and it's that time. They're hunting big time right now, too, to feed their young. Yeah, I'm going to throw this, this dog outside and see if he tries to pick up this 45-pound dog. <laughs> I don't think the hog well, we've had them. We've actually we've had several cats disappear, and the theory is uh, owls and hawks mm-hmm. have, are responsible. So they'll, they'll get pretty big stuff. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Well, did you know that there's absolutely nothing going on in football right now except for this late posthumous podcast we're about to talk about? Yeah, I mean, it, we're talking about the podcast, man. It's, you know, we haven't had a chance to, to show off our awesome wisdom yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right now in the NFL schedule, there's nothing going on. I think the best way to describe this time of year is it's NFL Network Top 100 Players. Uh, time of year because they're just doing anything they can to try to scrape through and put some content out there until the training camps start getting going and maybe some free agents get signed here and there. But it's kind of the dead zone until until the training camps actually start to kick off. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we we talk about this every year. This is, you know, everybody's just trying to to idle the time away until there's stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Like Nomar, like Nomar Mazar hitting his tenth home run and two home runs today, and, and walking off the Detroit Tigers, you know. Uh, yeah, no, nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> so, anyways, the 2018 NFL Draft. Now, I missed it live. I was in the Grand Canyon, uh, so I didn't get a chance to watch it all actually. And I've listened to a little bit, you know, on the radio, like some spats here and there, but I really didn't get a chance at all. And then, you know, I had some things happen, and it took me some time to actually watch the players. And so now two weeks later, here we are. We're talking about the NFL draft. And it's been a little bit of time. So in case you forgot, the Texans, with their third-round picks, they have three of them. They took Justin Reed, the safety from Stanford. Martinez Rankin, the tackle from Mississippi State. 
Jordan Atkins, not Atkins. He uh, eats carbohydrates, the tight end from Central Florida. With their fourth-round pick, they took Kiki Kote, the wide receiver from Texas Tech. With their sixth-round picks, they took Duke, Edgio Four, defensive end Wake Forest. Jordan Thomas, tight end, Mississippi State. Peter Kalambayi, defensive end of Stanford. And their seventh-round pick, they took Jermaine Kelly, defensive back from San Jose State. So this is Brian Gaines' first rodeo as the head sheriff. Uh, you know, that doesn't make any sense at all, actually. You, a sheriff doesn't go to the rodeo. But anyway, what regarding what a, I guess overall underlying themes did you see from Gaines after this draft? And do you have a better idea or better understanding of him as a general manager at all? Not really. I mean, you know, if you go back to Rick Smith, you didn't know what animal he was going to be during the draft. Like when. One draft, he was going to be looking at all the guys who just play football and wasn't really looking at athleticism. Then the next year, he, you know, what, what year was it, 2014, that it, everybody we took was big, <laughs> like Lewis Nix. Everybody was, like, really big for their position. And mm-hmm. then one year, he went with a lot more athleticism. So Rick Smith was just all over the map. So I don't think we can take much, really many um, – uh, conclusions from Gaines' first draft. But here's why I will go with this draft, is look who he took with the 68th pick. I didn't even know we were allowed to take a safety before the seventh round. Like, under Rick Smith, it really, under the Texans as a whole, we have not treated the safety position with any level of importance. And now look at that, 68th pick is Justin Reed. Now, granted, uh, there was a lot of people who thought he was going to come out in the end of the first, so it was a heck of a feel it seems that wow we took a safety Matt mm-hmm. yeah I think the biggest thing I saw with this draft was the desire to just go, like, get athletes like guys who are fast and actually like you know, show off something I know one of the problems with Rick Smith or his time as a real manager is he got guys who were like you know solid you know capable football players uh, I think guys like you know CJ Fedora fits that mole to uh, Alfred Blue, you know, nobody who really jumps out at all, at all athletically, but you know, they know how to play play the game a little bit. And they're guys who are like kind of in the later rounds, so you can kind of fill in, you know, uh, depth in places. And I think he drafted mostly on on need rather than uh, you know skill and athleticism, which I think he, is something that he did really well in the first round, where he got the best guys available. He got skillful players, he got great athletes. But I think later on in the draft, he was trying so hard to just like fill in the rest of the roster with. You know, solid players that he missed out on. You know, taking shots at guys who are actually, you know, really incredible athletes. And you know, like Justin Reed, for example, he runs a four four forty. He you know, bench pressed at two hundred twenty five pounds sixteen times, which is both you know really good numbers for a safety. Uh, Jonathan Atkins, he didn't run at all in the combine. It's hard to tell about him, but Kiki Kote, you know, ran a four four three forty. Duke Ejiofor didn't run at all, but he was kind of more of an athletic guy. Uh, Jordan Thomas from Mississippi State, though, he's coming out like freak at four six nine forty at six foot five and two hundred sixty five pounds. So I think you know, compared to you know what Smith has done before, uh, there's a lot more of a desire to, like get athletes and get faster and get guys that kind of pop off the the charts from Mega Analytics perspective as well too when it comes to actual measurables. Unlike you know kind of plotting guys, who you could say yeah you know he could get five carries a game or you know, he could play 15 snaps here and there. Or, you know, maybe if, uh, you know, with enough time, he can, you know, become slightly better at this because we just need somebody who won't get embarrassed out there. And so I think there's a lot higher upside with this draft than anything we did seen with Rick Smith before previously. 
Yeah, there, and there seemed to be a really a focus on um, athleticism to to some level, to some degree. Uh, you know, Justin Reed really jumps out as a spark guy. Kiki Kute jumps out as a spark guy. Uh, so there does seem to be an underlying theme of athleticism. Uh, Jordan Thomas, I didn't see a 40 time for Jordan Thomas, so that struck me because the only spark score I found for him was like really poor, really low end. So I was going to see if I could look that up quickly. But, you know, even Colin Baye, high uh, spark score, EGO4, high spark score. But this there does seem to be kind of the underlying theme of athleticism with this draft, which that's that's the one kind of a point I was rounding back to is, is what makes this so different than Rick Smith is Rick Smith had a tendency to, to not go for those kind of athletic guys. Uh, you can There's some examples where you did guys like Braxton Miller who jumped out at you, but Braxton Miller can play wide receiver. So as exciting as that was, it was kind of a stupid pick. So, you know, I look at this group. Jordan Atkins was mediocre. I want to double check on Jordan Thomas. Jermaine Kelly is the only guy who did, does not jump out as a smart guy on this list. Well, of course, in Rankin, but he's a offensive lineman, so who really cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Houston also in this draft, one of the things that I also like as you comment about, you know, game from this draft is the fact that he didn't trade up at all. Houston had three third-round picks. They had three sixth-round picks. And, you know, those are a lot of picks that are – you know, right there to trade up in the second round or trade back up in the fourth round, that sort of thing. And you know, instead he sat back with what he had and uh, went to work with what he had. And so do you think they made it all okay without having a first and second round pick? And do you wish that Brian Gain actually used some of that draft capital and move up to, you know, to get somebody else at all? No, I, I'm fine with what we did. It was going to be hard to kind of move up and take – we just weren't in a position to make those moves. I mean, if you go back and look at what does our 2018 draft look like, look like we considering we didn't start until the third, I like the draft. I mean, Justin Reed to me is just an outstanding, you know, pick as a prospect. You were crushing all over Martinez Rankin. Jordan Aikens is kind of a, what? And Kiki Cote is a, you know, wide receiver. He's, he's almost an instant starter slot if he can run the route tree at all. And Joe four, Colin Baye is our, clear rotational guys and sub packages. I don't know what we're going to get from Jordan Thomas. I don't know what we're going to get with Jermaine. Kelly. I don't think Jermaine Kelly is going to make the team, but you know, it's when you look at it and say, well, but we gave up our first round pick and got Deshaun Watson. Oh, okay. I'm cool. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that he didn't trade up at all as well too. I mean, I think they, I think they could have, I think they easily could have gotten to the second round and that he could have easily gone back up into the fourth round, that sort of thing. But I just think the draft is such a crapshoot, you know, the more that I've learned about it and the more that I've seen it. I might, you know, obviously, you know, guys drafting the first round usually better than guys taking the second round. And uh, the amount of approximate value that each player adds, you know, decreases with each pick. And it's kind of easy to see, like, who the really, you know, spectacular players are compared to some of the other guys, of course. But, you know, overall, just having as many shots as you can as possible is a better way to do the draft than, you know, trade up and use a ton of capital. Uh, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I am glad that Brian Gain did what he did and kind of stayed where he was and, you know, didn't give up uh, the opportunity to take, you know, uh, you know, Kute or AGO for to, you know, take somebody else and, and that sort of thing. So I'm I'm glad with the players that they got. Overall, I'm, I'm really happy with this draft, especially as I've, you know, learned more about these guys and watched them more. And I think uh, Brian Gain's kind of reminds me of what, you know, Chris Ballard did with Indy, except minus all the trade downs where, you know, there's needs there right away. There's holes right away. But rather than be super aggressive, he's kind of you know, biding his time 
as far as you know, the draft goes this year instead of trying to you know, make the big moves and the big splashes. Yeah, and I think there was only one guy that I was hoping that we might move up for, and that was Mike Gusecki, the tight end at Penn State, who mm-hmm. is just an absolute spark freak. I think he did have the highest spark score uh, this offseason for tight ends. He's just – he's, you know – 6'5", 240, ran a 4'5", 4'40". He's just a complete and total freak. That was the only guy I was kind of like, hey, let's go get this guy. Let's move up to get him. And and we didn't, and that's fine. I can live with that because I think Gusecki went mid-second round. So he he was off the board fairly early. So that yeah, was quite a bit of draft capital. Uh, I think of Cincinnati did. Okay. So that and that was the one guy I was kind of looking at, kind of drooling on – because, you know, we're, we're here talking about men in tight pants, so you got to talk about drooling as well. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up is is that, and maybe this is projection, perhaps this is projection, but the pick of Jordan Aikens for me was pretty important because Aikens, uh, Bill O'Brien coached Aikens during the – it was the Senior Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So got up close and personal with Jordan Aikens because to me that was a bit of an overdraft. Aikens is fine. I'm not – Dissing on Aikens, he's just not great. Uh, he ran a he ran a four seven forty. He's fine. He could carve out a role. Uh, but the fact that um, we took that ninety eight pick and got him was probably on the word of Bill O'Brien. And so you got to think, if there really was this clash between Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien, mm-hmm. and, and, but Bill O'Brien gets Jordan Aikens in this draft with Brian Gaines, maybe that alone makes the team better if the GM and the coach are on the same page, Matt. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't think about that at all, and I think that's a great point. Uh, and obviously, you know, with any front office, you kind of want, of course, that like any sport, anybody, anything that what you're doing, you want your analytics department, you want your scouting department, you want your general manager, you want your head coach to all be on the same page, and you want them to you know, be able to work together to have a scheme and personnel that match hand in hand together, and then also get players to fit the role the coach wants, and also the coach to you know, manipulate his scheme to match his personnel that he has also. So it's an entire ecosystem. Uh, it's not a food chain, you know. It should be an entire ecosystem, the way, uh, way a team plays. And so, like, if that's one example of uh, – if that's an actual example of these two guys actually be on the same page and working together, that's great because, you know, we've talked so much about it. There was obviously problems with, you know, Smith and O'Brien's relationship between the two. And whoever was right, whoever was wrong, it's impossible to tell or say – uh, I think, you know, it's both of their faults what happened with a lot of those things with those teams. But, you know, if there's some sort of camaraderie and ability to work together here, uh, just any – even any little, like, slight, you know, bit of evidence I think is a good sign for this team the way things have been previously here. Yeah, totally. And I want to completely radically change the subject on you, Matt, because I've been meaning to talk – I've been really wanting to talk about this subject uh, since the draft. With the guys that we – signed in free agency and with drafting uh, Rankin, do you at all have the feel that we're going to move back toward over ZBS run scheme and get away from that power craft that's been a complete failure for the team? Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, after whenever I watched Fulton play and then also like you're just watching Davenport play as well too, like Fulton especially, Fulton's like a, a great zone scheme blocker, outside zone scheme blocker. Calamete is pretty good at it. He's just really inconsistent as far as you're hitting his landmarks and where his head lands up. And, like, his feet are good. He just isn't 
like he just takes poor angles at times. Uh, sometimes he's a little bit late off the snap, but he can play the outside zone. I think even you know that's what Allen was used to playing in Kansas City. He's not a power guy as well either. He's more of a, a zone team guy too. Uh, Nick Martin as well as his own team guy. And so, yeah, I mean, after free agency, I thought for sure that they were going to go to more of an outside zone scheme. Uh, with Rankin, Rankin's kind of hard to tell because he was playing in that zone read offense with Mississippi State. Right. But, uh, you know, if if he's playing in a lot of five techniques and stuff, and he can cut block guys pretty well, uh, I think, yeah, I think that they're, that they're going to be leaning towards that way, which is also great, too, when you consider, you know, Lamar Miller, Deshaun Watson, and all the opportunities that exist there as well, too. But I don't think it's going to be like a pure, like, zone scheme outside zone scheme like it was with Kubiak. I think it's more of kind of like a like an outside zone, like, you know, jet sweep sort of quarterback read, keeper, you know, uh, more like kind of what the Chiefs were doing last year than like just like that play action, you know, roll out, you know, over over again sort of offense. Yeah, because I can tell you, I, when I started thinking about this, that specific subject and putting Lamar Miller back into a scheme where he's comfortable, uh, that this all of a sudden, you know, we're talking about an offense if it's clicking with a consistent kind of theme to it. And that's what I see, you know, when you talk about the jet sweeps, you talk about Deshaun Watson getting him out in space, you can implement a, an offense with a guy like Watson where you get him out in the space or you can keep him pretty protected. And you can do that with the athletic linemen that it looks like we're trying to go after. So I'm pretty daggum excited about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote a short post about it as well, too. Uh, after I watched the offensive lineman, you know, it wasn't super long or super in depth, but that's how I felt after I got done watching, you know, Kelamete and Fulton and including Davenport as well, too. I also think the fact that they didn't cut Lamar Miller and they kept Lamar Miller, I think that they also have ideas and are working together to try to, you know, actually break him use and utilize him as much as possible instead of him just being, you know, Alfred Blue. Right, right. I mean, you know, somebody tried to make the argument, well, you know, he's about the same size as other power running backs. But the thing is, is it's like I call it the Adrian Peterson syndrome. It's like Adrian Peterson can't do anything without a lead fullback. I mean, he's he's terrible. He's horrible without a lead fullback because that's what he's done his entire career. Mm-hmm. So if you take a guy like Lamar Miller, you put him in the power scheme, that's not where they're going to be comfortable. There is a certain muscle memory that comes along with, you know, being a running back and the way that you use your vision and you see the hole. And if you're telling a guy, I want you to change how you're, you're running completely, and it is a massive change, mm-hmm. and it, that guy, he's just primed to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he also gained some weight as well, too. And he's also a guy yeah. that you don't want to have get, you know, 230 carries a year. You want Lamar Miller best at, you know, at the 100, you know, 60, 170 carries and then 40 or 50 receptions because he's a really great receiver out of the backfield as well. And, you know, I think one of the failures of Bill O'Brien's you know, time so far in Houston, one of them for sure is how he has used Lamar Miller. I think it's been a, a complete atrocity how Miller has been used and how he's turned from one of the most, like, efficient sign backs in football into this, like, uh, I'm playing Madden on all Madden, and I can't break any tackles, and I'm just trying to get two yards to carry and, you know, hope to convert some third and sixes because I'm not good enough for this difficulty sort of back. Yeah, well said. Uh, so I guess before we start talking about these picks, I got I got two more I guess like overall league questions. Uh, one of them is who do you think had the best draft this year out of all the teams in the NFL? Uh, I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we're uh, I see that you have a question that I get to babble on for a little bit. I am a huge Baker Mayfield fan. Absolutely, I thought he was the great right guy at number one overall. 
I think that he is going to be a very, very dangerous quarterback at the NFL level. He will have a learning curve if he needs to sit behind Tyrod Taylor for half a season. That may have to happen. The dude can ball. The dude can absolute ball. Any comparison between him and Johnny Manziel is so incredibly lazy. Uh, it's it, that it's ridiculous. So yeah, Baker Mayfield leading that with the with the Browns. I think he was easily the best quarterback. I wouldn't touch Sam Darnold before the third round. And I, I'm kind of segueing, but it's you know the the other two. Josh Rosen was the only other guy I thought was was like a legit first rounder. Uh, maybe Lamar Jackson, but it. I just think with the draft that they had, they're going to all of a sudden get a lot better really quickly, and I think they took great advantage of our draft picks, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I guess you know we can talk about the quarterbacks. I had some questions about the quarterback and fits, and you know, the the one thing that I saw was I'm like I'm really excited about where all these quarterbacks ended up. I don't think it could have gone any better. Although I like May, I like Mayfield a lot in Cleveland. I like Cleveland's offense coming into 2017. And then I kind of learned my lesson that as long as Hugh Jackson is calling plays there, as long as he's in charge of the offense, they're going to be bad. He's one of the worst head coaches of all time. He should have been fired uh, for sure last year. The fact that he still has a job is incredible. And so I think the biggest thing needs to happen for Baker Mayfield is that he doesn't start until Hugh Jackson's fired. Because they're going to start off, you know, one and five or something like that. And then hopefully Jackson gets fired, and then Mayfield can play a little bit later in the year. Uh, you know, whenever they're after maybe like ten or twelve games or so, and they have something kind of set up. Because I don't think you want to throw him out there right away in that awful situation. Because again, you know, Jackson's terrible. He turned his Sean Kaiser into the worst quarterback in football last year, and uh, didn't help him out at all whatsoever with how he called plays or anything, and put him in a really complicated, you know, vertical offense and say anything up for him at all. Uh, new injuries and offensive line didn't, you know, not being that good didn't help him at all either. But he couldn't, you know, coach his way around at all whatsoever. And the Browns were too talented a team to go zero and sixteen last year as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, I also I love, I man, I love Josh Allen in Buffalo. Just the fact that you know he's big and stupid, has a big <laughs> arm, and it's really cold in Buffalo. Like I think it's perfect. And also like people are making fun of the fact that. You know, you some anonymous scouts say, you know, you need arm strength to play in cold weather, which you do. When you're playing in Buffalo with the way the wind is, you need a better arm strength to play in that situation. That was one of the problems that Mark Sanchez had in playing for the Jets was he was good for the first two months of the year. Then whenever the wind picked up, he didn't have the arm strength to throw to the sideline at all whatsoever. And he was awful, you know, the last uh, eight weeks or so of the year. So I love him there. I love Rosen in Arizona, too. I think that's a perfect fit, especially he can get a little bit of time. Uh, to play, and then also like he may be able to start right away as well too. And even if he doesn't, there's no pressure at all for him there. And then the fact that he slid back as far as he did is good too. Uh, I think Donald with the Jets is awesome, mainly because of the Christian Hackenberg thing. And I think Lamar Jackson and Baltimore is perfect as well. With Joe Flacco being the least valuable player in football the last three years, and Flacco being terrible, I think like Lamar Jackson is going to look great in that Ravens purple. Uh, and I think that's a that's a great spot for him too. So like I'm just overall really happy about the core. You know we need good quarterbacks, and I think all these quarterbacks ended up in fantastic situations for you know their skill sets and just like aesthetically and how they match up. Yeah, and so we're starting to transition to that. But I want to ask you a question first before I start babbling about quarterbacks because I would like to yeah, do yeah. that for just a couple of minutes. 
But so who do you think won the draft? You know, I'm not going to be able to speak for it. And this is embarrassing. It's not necessarily embarrassing, but I haven't watched any of these guys. I haven't even looked at who every team drafted all yet. So I have zero clue whatsoever. Uh, I just know the Colts took Quinn and Nelson. The Jaguars took a defensive tackle. And I like the I like the fact that the Titans traded uh, or the Titans were able to get another you know, really good pass rusher that guy from Boston College that fell because they need one more pass rusher to really have a, a have their defense make that leap to the next spot. But you know overall, like I just really just don't know enough to have an opinion on that. But yeah, and in the defense of Matt, for anybody who's thinking Matt slacking is is he wasn't you know hanging out in the Grand Canyon, um, probably doing peyote. I don't know. No, you you don't need any peyote at all out there. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, so anyway, so I went through and watched five at minimum five games for every one of the top QB prospects, which uh, basically covered Mayfield, uh, Lauletta, Lauletta. I, I cannot remember the dude's name. Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, uh, Sam Darnold, uh, Mason Rudolph. I think that's it. So basically the big ones, Every, or Lamar Jackson, everybody who I thought was going to go in the first couple of rounds. And uh, so kind of ranking them in reverse order, Josh Allen to me is a more athletic version of uh, Ryan Mallett, Matt. I, I think that there's a solid chance that in that wind with the way that he throws the ball down the field, that he has a solid chance to at least hit cheerleaders, if not the owner's box. Does he at least have like accuracy when he throws the ball downfield? Because that's about Mal. No. He can throw the ball far, but he just throws the ball out of bounds every time. It's like Tom Savage is the same way as well, too. Oh, no. His, here's two things about Josh Allen that I don't get. When scouts look at this guy, I don't get him. I don't see anything there as far as what an NFL quarterback should look like. His accuracy is terrible. I mean, he, he short hops throws, he overthrows throws. He, he, there's just, when he throws the ball, he does not know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that even complicates that further is dude can't throw a spiral. Mm. So he, he throws a lot of ducks. So he's got all this arm strength in the world. He, th- but because he can't throw a good spiral, the ball goes everywhere. And you'll see many of his throws, especially when he put, tries to push the ball downfield, that you just don't know where it's going to wind up. And he's usually not close. One more thing stood out for me about Josh Allen, which is if he tries to put touch on a ball, any ball at all, it instantly becomes like worse than a 50-50 ball. It's probably going to be overthrown badly, and it's probably going to be picked off. He is Ryan Mallett. He is an athletic version of Ryan Mallett, but I think Ryan Mallett <laughs> is a better quarterback. <laughs> so that's, pretty that's my Josh Allen hot take. It, he's, he really – it jumps out how inaccurate he is and how he doesn't know what he's doing with the football. It really – if it jumps out to a scrub like me, I don't see how any NFL scout is looking at Josh Allen going, oh, my God, all he is is an arm. He's like yeah. Nuke Lelouch. So, anyway, that's my rant on him. Uh, the next guy is, is uh, uh, Lauletta. I, I think he is – you know, there is a lot of – a lot of people with a lot of hope and dreams about Laletta, and he is not bad. He is not a bad prospect. He's definitely a better prospect than Josh Allen. Uh, he does a good job pushing the ball down the field. 
I think somebody's going to eventually give this guy a legit shot to be a quarter, a starting quarterback in the NFL, and I think he could do it. I think right now he's kind of borderline, borderline backup starter kind of guy. There are worse quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and they've usually been on the Texans. Um, next for me would be Sam. I'm going from worst to best in the ones I review. The next one would be Sam Darnold. Uh, my comp for Sam Darnold is Blake Bortles. Uh, I just think that if you want Sam Darnold to win you a game, he is not the guy to do it. He, his hmm. ball protection is awful. It's just – it is ridiculously terrible. He is going to fumble. He's going to throw a stupid pick. I, I just – I don't even know what to say about him as far as that goes. He, he's not as athletic as he looks. He's very, very tight hip. So that's what reminds me of Blake Bortles especially. Uh, what he does do well is he gets his body in a good position to throw. Uh, his, his mechanics are kind of wonky a little bit. He's happy to push the ball downfield. He's got good intermediate accuracy. But, again, I just don't think this is a guy you want to say, Sam, go win me games. Uh, I just I don't see that because he throws too many stupid throws. And he had a great supporting cast with him. And to, to look like that I thought was pretty ridiculous. Uh, Mason Rudolph. I think is um, a guy to kind of keep an eye out for. It was really hard for me to, to come up with a good confirmation, Rudolph. It, Elvis Gerback is a guy who came to mind, uh, big arm, not so athletic, willing to throw the ball downfield. Rudolph has the best, has the best deep throw in this class. Um, he, he, I think going to Pittsburgh, and if, if Reckless Burger wasn't being such a jerk, it would be, he would be a good guy <laughs> to learn from. But, uh, it's uh, that's what I think Rudolph is. I think he could be a very, very solid starting quarterback. You know, if if you grab him in the second round, I think he did a pretty good job. Uh, the next one is uh, Lamar Jackson. Um, again, this is kind of maybe perhaps a lazy comparison, but the guy who I think of when I watch Lamar Jackson is Deshaun Watson. Uh, Jackson has that same kind of wrist flick that Deshaun Watson throws, especially getting the ball deep. But he's got a pretty darn big arm. He can make all the throws. Uh, he he gets he has a tendency to be pretty inaccurate at times. He misses high at times. His hips can get lazy at times. But um, he throws a great deep ball. He's accurate on the deep ball. He uh, and he has he has arm strength. You know that was one of the digs on him is he doesn't have he does have arm strength. He can make throws. He threw I think 59 at the combine. That's adequate. That is certainly adequate to make all the most of the throws. And I will be a little bit quicker because Matt's probably bored as heck. Uh, the next guy is Josh Rosen. Um, I like Rosen quite a bit. I'll just say very quickly that I think that uh, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of talk about why Josh Rosen wasn't taken earlier than he was. You can see some of the reasons, but he was also kind of the hardest guy to, to scout at all. I have never seen, like, seriously, there probably are stats. Somebody can probably show me a stat and say, oh, no, here's an example. I've never seen anybody have so many drop balls. Josh Rosen will have six to eight drop balls every game. And his offensive line was terrible. His running backs were terrible. He was a hard guy to scout just on that because you have to have some sort of protection to throw. To be a quarterback in the, in the NFL, and if you're not getting that in college and it's hard to see how a guy can set up in the pocket and throw – when he's got guys in the space, almost from the snap, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then finally, Baker Mayfield, and I'm wrapping this up quickly, Matt, so you're not so bored, um, is uh, my comp for him is um, 
Aaron Rodgers life. I, I wow. he no no quarterback throws guys open better than he does. No quarterback hits guys in stride better than he does. He does not let he does not make his his receivers slow down. He is in that somewhat inaccurate with the deep ball. He does not have the best deep ball in the world. But man, he can throw those short and intermediate term passes on a line with high accuracy and really putting his guys in a position to win. When you talk about all these quarterbacks and you talk about how accuracy is such an important aspect of that, that is, that is Mayfield. He is going to hurt you. He is going to bleed you dry with his accuracy. And that's what really jumped out for me, Matt. So I'm done. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed reading all your emails and all for, you know, leading up to the draft because I didn't watch any, any of these quarterbacks all this year. I watched them all last year. And I know it was such a big class and just like all of my opinions from them were just based on what you, what you uh, said, some podcasts I listened to here and there. And also just like aesthetically just watching some highlight videos and, you know, based off the narratives kind of unfolding around each one of these guys. And I think the draft kind of just went as perfectly as it could as far as just like the, the storyline of you know, each of these young quarterback and the, and the hero's journey they're about to go on with the teams that selected them. Yeah, and it was really – there were funny things that, you know, because you, you – I did not do any scouting on these guys before I watched the film. I did none. Yeah. I did watch with the sound on, but I did, I did not do any – I wanted no outside influence. And there was, one, there was one thing that came to mind about how kind of a, a – an opinion is formed that is so not based on the truth. Sam Darnold sucks throwing on the run. I mean, he, he sucks. He's terrible. He's inaccurate. It's, it's terrible. But announcers kept saying that he threw better on the run than in the pocket. Huh. But you look at the stats, and he threw like 17% higher completion rate from the pocket than he did on the run. Yeah. And it's like, where did, where did they get this? Where, because he made a couple of throws. Josh Allen supposedly throws well on the run, too. He has a couple of highlight real touchdown catches throwing on the run. Both balls were dead ducks. Both balls were wide open, wide receivers with nobody within five yards of them. So these guys get these kind of reputations. Oh, he's he's great on the run. Uh, well, no, he's he's actually not. You just think he is because you heard somebody else say. Mm-hmm. And you remember the big plays rather than the consistent, you know, things that happen, you know, over time as well too. The outlier is more remembered than, you know, what the the main you know beaten path kind of is. Yeah, especially the touchdowns. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a Malcolm. I'm sure Malcolm Gladwell wrote a chapter in one of his uh, his books about that. You know, the highlight right. play compared to the the consistent production. Exactly. That's great. That's funny. Yeah. That's awesome. I I think also a lot of these commentators and stuff too. They you know they're busy. They have a lot of stuff they got to do. They have a lot of games they have to call. I don't think a lot of these guys really watch stuff that in depth and really kind of know what they're talking about that much. You know, they have to do a lot of different stuff and it's it's hard to know everything about everything and. Uh, the narrative is easier to just follow along with than actually you doing the work work ahead of time about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and I also think if you're a guy like Glanton's airline who has who goes back and watches all these, you know, uh, and I'm not speaking badly about Lance at all. So don't I don't want that to remotely be the takeaway. But how much you also kind of rely upon other people's opinions for mm-hmm. that, and, you know, and I'm not again I'm not picking on Lance at all zero. But when you have so many guys to go through like these announcers do, you just kind of go, oh, that's the storyline for this guy. He throws great on the run. So yeah. it's got to be tough. 
Or if you're kind of, you're kind of iffy on somebody, you'll send text message to a scout or coach you know and reach out and listen to what they have to say as well. I think it's part of it too. Because I know like going through yeah. some of these guys you can't watch video on and you, and you kind of go through analysis and a lot of it's just like, well, he caught this many touchdowns. He, you know, is this big. He ran this much. Uh, a, NFC scout told me this, you know. And so I think a lot of it kind of comes together from sources aside from, you know, what the numbers and videos say as well, too, for the people who can get a little bit of extra information as well. Yeah, totally agree. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll actually talk about the, the Texans draft picks now, now that we've kind of covered the entire NFL draft as much as we can. Uh, maybe next year, I, I'm not going to go on vacation next year if I'm still doing this, if I – I'm still here if I'm uh, still alive and well and strong. I won't take vacation during Battle Flowers weekend next year. I'll, I'll be around for the full draft. I'll probably actually uh, do some stuff. If I go on vacation, I'll go the weekend after. But um, I got I got the clock going. We got a couple of draft picks to talk about. And uh, we'll spend about maybe, you know, four minutes or so, five minutes at most talking about these guys. Some of these guys will only be able to say just very few things because there's a lot about them. Um, so let's start first with Justin Reed. You know, what do you think about Justin Reed as a player, and uh, how do you think about the pick in general? I was blown away he was still there, but I, was, I think I was more blown away when we took him that we took a safety. And so that got me pretty excited. That told me that we have a general manager who understands what the team's weaknesses are. Uh, nobody's going to like me for saying this, and it's fine. Nobody ever likes me anyway for having an opinion. And it's like, gee, gee, this Rick Smith guy wasn't actually a good GM after all. I wish some, wish some handsome, manly, handsome guy would have uh, told me about that about four years ago, and maybe I would have changed my opinion on him. Anyway, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, with Reed being such a freak, and Andre Howe, and, you know, Andre Howe's a good center fielder. I think Tyran Matthew, I would have absolutely signed him, but there's a reason the Cardinals dropped him. There's a reason he, Tyron Matthew only got a one-year deal. It's because he looks, he's looked terrible the past two years. He's looked just absolutely terrible. Uh, he looks very done to me. Uh, the, he reminds me of the Colt safety uh, in the 2000s, whose name I'm blanking on, but he was Bob a short Sanders. athletic guy. Bob Sanders, thank you. That He yeah, reminds me of Bob Sanders. Oh, yeah, and the guy was a beast, right? He was fast, yeah. he could hit. That's what Matthew reminds me of. It's just his body is just taken – too much of a beating and it's just, he's, he's hurt. So, uh, but I really see that Justin Reed could be starting pretty, pretty quickly over one of those two guys. I know that he's a free safety and Matthew's going to kind of play that strong safety, but remember in rack scheme, safety more or less really have kind of the same responsibilities. So it's not really that big of a difference between them. So I could see Justin Reed stepping up over Matthew pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really liked, uh, watching him play, I mean, I think one thing that Reed is that he's really good athletically. I like his closing speed, like as a blitzer. Like if there is any sort of space in between him and the ball carrier, he zaps it up really quick. He's too strong for wide receivers to be able to block. And one of the problems he's had have for so long is their inability to stop screen passes. Like go back and watch every game against Kansas City that's ever happened. They can't stop screen passes. I think Reed's can be spectacular against helping with that. And uh, he's not entirely somebody that you want playing man coverage. You can cover tight ends, but you don't want him necessarily covering, you know, slot receivers one-on-one. And he also plays a lot of short zones. And I think that's kind of the important thing with, uh, you know, the reposition. We'll talk more about the secondary in general too. But the biggest thing about Reed is he can play 
center field. He can play, you know, short zone. He can play in the box and, and stop the run game. He's a really good, strong tackler, and he's really versatile. And so I think he can do a lot of different things through his defense. I think most importantly, he can, you know, play in the box, play some nickel linebacker, and he can play those short zones to influence, you know, as a robber and also not have Houston. You'll get completely destroyed in the run game as well, too. So, I mean, I think part of it also is with Matthew, where he's only on a one-year deal. So if Matthew's good and you don't have the money to resign him, you have Reed right there. If you can reside uh, Matthew, then you already have another safety on a pretty cheap deal, and you have a lot of versatility there. And also, Matthew's really bad. You already have a guy who can kind of step up and fill in if it doesn't work out. So, I mean, I think just like they took the best player available to him, and he, I think he's going to be really good, and uh, he can do a lot of different things to him pretty well. Yeah, and the, and the other way that I look at him being utilized is the way that Eddie Pleasant was utilized is that kind of nickel – linebacker at times because he's got the size, he's got the speed, he can tackle. I yeah. mean, that's what our best guy, that, you know, to, to fill that nickel linebacker slot, then heck yeah, go for it. Yeah, like kind of like how Dion Buchanan's used is what I think Cornell had in mind, but he never had the players to do it. But with, I think, Matthew and Reed, he'll at least have one or two guys to do that. And also, I think Houston's going to play a lot more three safety sets than you would think. Uh, I think they're going to play a lot more zone coverage, too, as well, to minimize how often you know, Jonathan Joseph and Kevin Johnson and Kareem Jackson are playing man coverage because if last year means anything for this year, uh, that's the last thing that you want to have happen for your past defense. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And also, Rita also offers a lot of interesting uh, blitz combinations, too, because he's a very good blitzer. You even see him, like, trounce a left tackle, you know, blitzing off the edge and you know, things like that that really you make your eyes kind of go back. And he also makes plays, and he's a, he's good at playing the ball as well, too. If the ball is lofted up there, he's not going to bat down or drop the receptions. He's going to go up there and get it. And uh, so, yeah, I, like, I, like, I really enjoy going on YouTube and watching Justin replay football and seven-minute you know, cut-ups, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the next pick they have here is Martinez Rankin, the offensive tackle from Mississippi State. And if you didn't know, I'm now a cultural influencer. I'm a Texans influencer. I'm a, I'm a stronghold of pop culture. I am a creator. I am uh, every one of those Instagram slash Facebook uh, motivator entrepreneurship. Yeah, man, that's me now. Because the Texans, I begged them to take Martinez Rankin. They took him, and uh, I was eating breakfast in Sedona, and I was so happy whenever I found out that it happened. So this is... Be a, this is a really good pick, and I think they, I think Rankins is going to start right tackle immediately. He's really strong. He can block guys one-on-one. He can cut guys down as well. He can reach the inside shoulder and outside, uh, on outside zone plays too. He can get to the second level pretty well. And, like, he doesn't look super quick, but he, always, he usually beats the edge defender to the point of attack nearly every time. And he's strong enough, too, that whenever he gets his hands on him, uh, you know, he kind of suffocates him from there as well. So, like, he's just all around, like, a really solid guy. Uh, he has the combination of being strength. And, like, after also watching, like, the other offensive tackles available too, you know, like Brian O'Neill and McGlinney, uh, these are guys who can't run block, who, like, McGink, the guy, McGinkley, like, he can't run block at all. He is kind of lazy and takes plays off. He doesn't punt, have a punch at all. I couldn't believe he went ninth. Colton Miller has no ability to use his hands whatsoever. It's a Xavier Sophia disease. I can't believe he wins in the top 15. 
Like, I watched all these guys, and Martinez Rankin was, like, the only guy of all the offensive tackles I watched that, like, I actually enjoyed watch playing because he can actually pass block and run block, and so many of these other guys coming out just were unable to do both of those things. Yeah, I've got nothing to say about him because nobody should care what I have to say about him. You're in love with him. That's good enough for me. Well, good, good. The other thing I want to say is Brian O'Neill, I think he can be – a good offensive tackle if he can ever, like, actually get strong enough to run block. Because he can come in and pass block and left tackle probably right away because he has that quickness and leap out of the stance. But he just isn't good at anything else. And I think, you know, it's a lot of the problems with these offensive linemen who are coming out where they play in spread offenses. They can't get crushed in the run game. In the past game, the run game is so many different layers and so much manipulation where they don't have to do just enough to be okay. And you kind of lose guys who can, you know, do both, which is what you have to do in the NFL. And so, like, it was just part of the thing about ranking is one thing he's to be good. And also, like, it was just so enjoyable to watch somebody to actually do multiple things after watching, you know, the same thing over and over again, you know, 15 times from everybody else who was a, a draft prospect this year. <laughs> I like that. That's great. Yeah. All right. The next guy is uh, Jordan. I eat carbohydrates, Atkins, uh, 6'3, 249 <laughs> from UCF. And so, what'd you think about this pick, BFT? It's fine. I mentioned it earlier. The only guy I really, really wanted that I thought might fall to us was Gusecki, and that didn't happen. That's cool. I can, I'll can, i live probably. Um, Akins is a shorter tight end. He's he's definitely kind of an H-back kind of guy. He's not fast, but he can create some space, and he can get open. He showed well in the senior ball. Uh, I, I've got absolutely no problem with this pick. The only, you know, I kind of look at it and go, the only thing problem I do have with it is he's like 26 years old, which means he might be pretty physically done by the end of his rookie contract. That's a big spend to me for a third round pick, but um, O'Brien must have been impressed with him and because he coached him during the senior bowl. So uh, there you have it. It's, with, the, with the trash heap that we've got at tight end, I really, really, really hope we start Jordan Aikens day one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that impression is, you know, I think important about the, the senior bowl thing. When I when I watched him, I think the reason why he was selected also was because the Texans don't have anybody to tied in. It was kind of a weird tied in free agency class. I think they should have went out and signed Austin Safari and Jenkins, and that was kind of a mistake on their end, uh, just as like a, a low contract, high upside sort of guy. And you know, Steven Anderson is a capable tight end. But, you know, he's not that good of a blocker. And so, I, and Aikens, you know, he blocked okay in college, but he should have been a better blocker considering his size and his age and going up against a bunch of 20 years old. So, you know, he should have bullied players, and he never really did that. He could make the block just enough, but he never actually overwhelmed anybody. But I think the, re- the other reason why they took him was just because he's 26. The tight end position is a hard position to transition from, from college to the pros because you have to learn how to run run block, pass block, and also you'll get open and learn your entire playbook as well. So you have to learn two playbooks unlike a lot of these guys, uh, just playing with your wide receiver, offensive line, or you know, running back. And so because of that, they wanted to get a guy who could probably come in, start right away, or play right away, and there wouldn't be that much, you know, the need for maturation development isn't there. Like if you take somebody who's 21 years old and is much greener. So I think he's kind of like a low upside maybe more dependable player than some of these other guys were. But I still, like, he get, like whenever he's catching passes, he can get open. 
He outran guys. He tied punched the ball. But the blocking thing is just the biggest hangup I have where, you know, you're going against a defensive back in the alley. You need to obliterate him. You're like 10 years older than this guy. You weigh Elwin by 80 pounds, and he just wasn't able to do it often enough. So my concern is the blocking. I think pass, pass catching he will be good enough. And, but I think Steven Anderson's going to be a better pass catcher than he is. So it's kind of a strange pick. Um, I don't know if the other options are any better, but it, like, like you said as well, too, it's kind of one of the, it's the one pick that kind of left me scratching my head as well. Okay, so thing about Atkins, I can't even remember what I said back then. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's just move on to QD. Yeah, I, I'm just happy that Jeremy's happy. That's all that matters. The one that matters is that UCF Jerry <laughs> is happy as can be. And uh, great. So so proud of him. So glad for him. Uh, Kike Kote, I'm never going to be able to say his name right, but it's all right. Uh, what do you think about him? Um, I think that, you know, the knocks on him are that he, um, he doesn't have a very mature route tree. He ran a lot of simplistic routes at Texas Tech. Um, he isn't, he isn't known for being tough. And what, you know, what I would like to say to that is, you know, sometimes there's, that is, if you know that limitation that you're not going to, you don't want to be hit big and you're, he's a smaller guy. I would much rather see him get down get low and rather than get crushed and fumble. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with that. What I do like about him, he's a spark freak. Uh, he's fast, and he can return punts and kicks. Again, we go back to you look at the differences between Rick Smith's type drafts and look at this draft, and you see a guy like Cutie on the board. This is the kind of guy that who I've wanted in the past, saying, look, this is your slot receiver. Like, get him working with, with um, Wells Welker and get his act together. This is a perfect kind of pick for this team. We need this. Braxton Miller is not going to work out for us. It's just, he's just – there's no reason to even think he is at this point. So that's why a guy like Cutie, I love the pick, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it as well, too. I don't understand that toughness thing. I don't know, you know where that came from, but he, I think he plays a lot bigger than his size. He's only 5'10", 181. He ran a 4'4", 340. But, like, he dips underneath tackles. He – hits contact and falls forward. He's really elusive and jumps out of things. And I think he plays much, much bigger than his size. I think he's a lot more physical than, you know, he's been given credit for as well. And I, I think one of the keys that you need to have for a slot receiver, it's either a guy who can, you know, get open immediately out of press coverage, or you need to have somebody who can split the safeties running deep down the middle of the field. And with the route tree, he was running, you know, a lot of kind of like quick outs, a lot of screens, a lot of kind of, you know, pitches and that sort of thing in the short game. You know, it's hard to tell as far as how quickly he can get open against press coverage and running slants and, and ends and those sorts of things. But, I mean, the guy's fast. Like, he just outrun defensive backs off the line of scrimmage where they didn't even touch him. And he can split safeties down the center of the field. And whenever you have people rolling coverage over to you know, DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, uh, and then you have four on the other side. Like the entire center of the field is going to be open for him as long as Fuller stays healthy as well, too. And so I think it's a it's a great pick. And, you know, like he doesn't really high point the ball. He has to wait for it to come to him. He's not going to go up and get it because of the size. But you know, he can outrun guys. He's really elusive. And I think he's what you want out of the slot receiver. I know Braxton Miller's a, been disappointed. I think he, he's kind of like more of a guy who's got the ball in his hands, but he can't get the ball in his hands. But I think Kute's it's not a player that can not only you know get the ball in his hands, but also do a lot of things with it too after the fact. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, once we talked about how that's, uh, that's a big deal. That's something that's really lacked on the team. You know, we, we, don't, we haven't seen Will Fuller really what he can give us yet, but Cutie is the kind of guy who can hopefully take the short pitch and catch, the slants, the hitches, and turn them into bigger games than what we've seen from, I mean, Jalen Strong was supposed to fill that position, Braxton Miller. I mean, we haven't had a guy like that on the team since Kevin Walter, like you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, Houston hasn't had uh, Tade, who's been any good since you know that time, and that and slot receiver just like been the two enormous holes in all, on this offense. Now that Deshaun Watson can play uh, quarterback, the next guy was Duke Edgeofer. He played; he's an edge defender from Wake Forest. Um, what do you think about him? I like the pick. I mean, we needed some talent on rotational talent. Getting to the quarterback uh, in sub packages, I think this is a this is a very fine pick. Um, I mean, get, okay, granted, we're talking now about the 177th pick in the draft. It's pick three in the sixth round. So right now, we're really, we're everything's a crapshoot from here on out. Well, it was probably starting in the third. Um, so you know, you take a guy who has a good physical skill set, who has had some success getting to the quarterback. Uh, he has some a lot of knocks against him, like anybody else would in the sixth round. But we need this. I mean, Brendan Scarlett, I like Scarlett. He's not a guy who I really want getting to the quarterback. Uh, so I'd love to pick from that perspective, Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like this pick as well, too. Like, aside from, you know, Aikens, up to this point, like, I've, I've loved all these picks. And he's another guy I really like. He has great hands. He can – especially inside moves. Like, he has a great inside rip, a great inside swim. Uh, he has a good get-off off the line scrimmage. He doesn't have that edge rush bend. He doesn't have that edge rush really, like, quickness off the edge. But he has, like, a long arms for, you know, counter moves. And he has a pretty good little spin, too. So I think if he can use this spin move as a counter for, you know, all these inside uh, rips and swims and kind of make it – usually your, kind of your counter move is more of an inside move to counter your edge rush. I think if he can work at the opposite, he can be a, a good pass rusher. The only problem I the only problem I see with him aside from except for his bend on the edge and his edge rushing is he's kind of a smaller guy. So you don't want him to be you know your five technique. You don't want him to get double teamed at all. You don't want him necessarily playing you know against uh, inside runs. But if he's one versus one against tight ends, if he's one versus one against tackles, uh, he has the hands and the deceptiveness and the ability to get off blocks to be able to you know, make plays happen in the backfield as well, too. If you haven't and you want to watch something really fun, watch his video against Florida State last year. It was kind of like week two, J.J. Watt, where he gave me, he got in the backfield time, didn't finish all of his plays. There was that last little bit of athleticism missing. But overall, like he was you know, really good uh, last year. And everything I read about him after the fact was that you know, he kind of fell because of injury issues. I think they moved the outside linebacker. This is a guy who could potentially start, you know, for Houston. Um, and even if he doesn't start, you know, he'll. I think he can be at a minimum, you know, like a a guy who can play outside linebacker and play, you know, twenty five, thirty snaps a game potentially. Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. I mean, you know, yeah. this is we're in the sixth round. You get you get three, four sacks from the dude over the course of the season from you know. 300 snaps uh, for the season, that, that's production right there. That's production from the six-round guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, these last three guys, we'll just go through real, real quickly. I couldn't really find any video of them to watch. Uh, Doran Thomas, as I mentioned earlier, he's 6'5", 265. 
I know you didn't see any spark scores at the combine. He ran a four seven four. His pro day, he ran four six nine. He had like thirty catches for two hundred thirty yards. So a lot of it's just kind of box score scouting. But like he's a really big guy, and uh, you know the Texans need other tie. They need a tight end, and so just taking a shot like a big guy who's a, a really good athlete, I think is a, a perfectly good way to spend a six round pick. Uh, Peter Kalambai. I think he's whatever. I think he's more of a Rick Smith sort of pick where he was solid, dependable. Uh, he lacked, you know, athleticism to close the gap to really make any plays. He's kind of a guy who knows how to play football well enough to, to not be embarrassed. But, you know, there's a reason why he went in the sixth round. I wouldn't expect anything from him whatsoever at all. And their last pick in the seventh round, Jermaine Kelly, there's nothing on him at all uh, other than he ran – he has a – other than, you know, his pro day stuff, but he's six feet tall. Uh, he's a cornerback. His Twitter picture, he has a, a very uh, very prominent six-pack, so he's a professional athlete. But really, other than that, I really don't have anything to say because he doesn't have any video at all available for him. So, But I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the Thomas pick. I'm not expecting anything at all from Callum Bayi or Kelly, uh, probably just because – well, Callum Bayi got to watch, but Kelly's more the fact that he's a seventh-round pick and you, know, you – you really don't see a line, so I can't really say anything one way or the other, I guess. Yeah, and so Jordan Th- – I'll start off with, you know, Jordan Thomas. I did find a spark score for him, which put him in the 11th percentile, so a very below-average athlete. He looks like a blocking tight end kind of guy. Uh, he's got the size of blocking tight end. The 474 time is excellent, but he clearly wasn't used in the pass game in Southern Miss. So – or Mississippi State, I'm sorry. So it's – I, I'm not seeing a lot of love for him from that perspective. Callum Bailly is an athlete. He is an athlete. Um, I don't. I cannot find a spark score immediately. I know I saw one at one point. Uh, he ran a four-five-seven forty at the combine. He's got a uh, 121-inch broad jump, a 34-inch vertical. The knock on him has been that he flashes athleticism but does not put up stats. He he just disappears at times. And, and there's a reason I really like him coming out, and that's because when you have those type of stats, when, you have, when you're 6'3", 250, you're going to be smaller for an edge rusher, but in some packages that could be really useful. And if this is a motivation problem, you get him in a locker room with J.J. Watt and some of those other guys, I think this is a guy who has a higher ceiling than a backup uh, linebacker. I think there's somebody who can contribute on special teams and who can contribute in sub packages. You know, he can, that is a fast, big dude. And I can see a lot more. I I can see that coming together. Most importantly, you're talking, you're talking about a guy who gives you some sort of feeling instead of just a floor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's interesting. I didn't see uh, that was measurables. I really, I really couldn't find them at all, but just like watching him play, like you don't see that at all. So you know, there's a there's sometimes you watch guys, and there's a difference between what you what you watch and how guys look with pads on versus how they you know look whenever they're athletes. And sometimes one way you know says more than the other. And uh, this is something where it's just kind of like you know they contrast completely. Yeah. So I've got I've got a little bit higher hope for him than maybe a lot of other people do. You know, and it could be misplaced. I don't. You know, who freaking knows. But I, I would rather take the chance on a guy like this rather than uh, not. Hold on, I just saw something. 
Oh, yeah. So Callum Bailly posted a 77th percentile spark. Okay. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty killer. Yeah, that's pretty killer. Anyway, there you go. Well, cool. Um, so those are all the questions that I have that we have time for, so we'll get to our, uh, our very loyal or very beautiful or very, very strong, smart, and handsome, uh, intelligent listener questions. The first two came from Twitter. The first one came from Matt in the cradle, which is uh, very clever because, you know, cats in the cradle, but instead it's Matt's in not the cradle, but the cradle. Uh, he asked, can you break down how you see the secondary shaking out? Do I have to? Yeah. <laughs> the problem with our secondary at this point, Jonathan Joseph's old and slow. Kareem Jackson's been slow for a few years, and we have no idea what we're going to get with Kevin Johnson. Those are That's three really, really big deals because we're expecting all three of them to, to take a lot of snaps for us. And not addressing them, those three, and putting them in the position that they're going to get a lot of snaps is an issue. Now, we did have the signing of um, – Matt, help me out. Jacksonville, cornerback. Aaron Colvin. Stole. Thank you. Uh, Colvin that we stole from Jacksonville. Not as good as the steal of A.J. Bouye, but, you know, it's not bad. So it's going to be interesting to see where he plays. As Big Matt mentioned earlier, I can see with the lack of athleticism that we're going to have at the cornerback position, I can see that Kareem Jackson or Kevin Johnson even might not get snaps and sub packages. I, I can see Reed being out there over those two guys. Um, so it's how it shakes out is going to be interesting, but I could see where like when we go nickel that we might have Colvin, uh, Jackson or Johnson and Joseph. I think Joseph's going to stay on the field quite a bit. And then, uh, Matthew and Hal, at least early on, and we go dime. I could easily see, um, Reed going in over, um, Jackson or Johnson. So that's, to me, that's going to be really interesting how that all kind of shakes out. Um, I would like, there's, there's clearly there's a lack of athleticism now in our secondary, and I've got a big problem with that. But I think you have to give Reed the exposure and get him out there because he is, between he and Colvin, those are your two most, most athletic guys out there at this point. Big mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to play a lot more zone then they're going to play man this year. I think it's, it's, they're going to be a lot more uh, you know, blitzing, a lot more zone blitzing, a lot more versatility. I think they're going to be kind of all over the place. And one of the reasons for that is that Jonathan Joseph can't play you know, man coverage because he gets burnt deep so badly. He just can't stay and run with the eyes. But he is good at playing short zone. He's good at reading and reacting on the ball. He's good at recognizing routes pretty well. Uh, but it's just him against, you know, one versus one against fade routes. Like, he just can't cover them. Uh, I think Jackson can play zone coverage. You don't want him playing man at all. He never had good feet. And then with him losing his athleticism, he's constantly chasing. And, you know, his back's always from the ball. You know, Kevin Johnson was just awful last year. You're betting on health. And hopefully he gets healthier because uh, he was one of the worst cornerbacks in football last year. And then with Hal, you have a guy who can play from center field to the sideline. He can play uh, half the field. He can play you can play single high with him as well. And then with Reed and Matthew, you have two guys who can play, you know, a third of the field. They can play some man coverage. They both can blitz. They can both can play, you know, short hook zones as well too. And then Aaron Colvin played a lot of either slide corner man or he played, you know, short zone as well too. So 
you have a bunch of different guys who do a lot of different things in, in some ways, and the biggest thing that kind of like sticks between all of them is just the struggles of man coverage. So I don't think it's going to be kind of like, I don't think it's going to be a rigid secondary where, you know, the question like this, you can't say, well, I think this is going to be, you know, cornerback one, cornerback two, strong safety, free safety. I think all seven of these guys are going to play. Uh, they're going to do a lot of different things. And I think Cornell is going to call a lot of different coverages. And, you know, I think he's going to, he's, if you're going to have a defensive coordinator try to do something like that, he's a great guy to do that. But I think it's going to be really fluid and really versatile and just overall like a really interesting situation. And, again, the more important thing for the secondary is the front seven being healthy and their ability to generate a pass rush. Uh, because if that doesn't happen, the secondary, I think, is going to be you know, bad no matter what they do schematically, no matter who plays. Yeah, and I think there are a couple of good points you have in there also, uh, Big Matt. But one thing that's really scary about playing more zone is this is a lot of guys who don't play zone well. I mean, especially when we saw the New England game, that we have a really hard time passing guys off. That group yeah, but does. I think that was more that was more Corey Moore, that backup quarterback yeah. they had. You know, more Jonathan Gilchrist. Joseph running on the sideline. Yeah, and Gilchrist than yeah. what they have this year. So I think they're, they'll be able to be able to play cover three and cover four better than they were able to last year, especially with some of the guys who've done it before now. Yeah, and then one more point I'd like to make is a, a lot of secondary play is not like cover three, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of matchups that happen along with that. So there might be cover three with a couple of guys. There might be a couple other guys doing different coverage, man, cover four type thing. So always remember that, that coverages in the NFL have a tendency to be almost nebulous at times where mm-hmm. certain guys have certain assignments. And so they're not going to break down into nice, cute, you know, we're playing cover three. So there's there's going to be, and especially a, a defensive line like uh, Romeo, defensive mind like Romeo Cornell is going to be imaginative. He's going to mix and match even his coverages within the same play. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I know it makes it just so hard to, like, try to watch and understand defenses. It's mainly because of the coverages. It's hard, it's hard to tell who's playing man, who's playing zone, and, you know, what the hell they're doing, you know. It's uh, – and the hardest thing about watching football is trying to understand coverages. Yeah, truly. Jesus. Give <laughs> uh, <laughs> me offensive line play. <laughs> yeah. Offensive line play, I only know because I, I did it for such a long time that I just kind of go back and think. If I didn't play out, I, I don't think that somebody could just like picked up and learned, you know, by sitting there over and over again. And that's part of the stuff with in watching coverages as well. Like, I have no idea. I've never ran fast once in my entire life, so. I don't know at all what that's like and what they're looking for. Some of it I've worked to try to learn more about, and it's always interesting, but I just don't, it doesn't sit the same. Uh, we have a question from Uproot Texan. I think his Twitter is Uproot Texan 99, and he said, "Is Deshaun Watson capable of influencing the tide?" So I think this is a win-win question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, not yet. Let, let's give him a full season to have that kind of power, I think. I think if you gave him – first, you'd have to learn how to play some sort of musical instrument, like a flute or a piccolo or a clarinet. <laughs> and then uh, a Japanese man would have to give him some superpowers. And then after learning to play a couple of notes, I think he could he could do some of it. But it would take a lot of, uh, lot of work and – we would have to actually be living in a simulation instead of just being a hypothesis, but a hypothesis after all. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, we had a question from 
Agent WD40 asking how I feel about Martin Rankin, Martinez Rankin. I love him. He's going to be spectacular. I can't wait to. I already have my Martinez Rankin shirt seat on the way. Uh, and then we had another question from Nash Meister asking, what position on the offensive line do you think Rankin's going to play? I'm, I'm going to stay with it. I think Davenport's a left tackle. I think he's 100% left tackle. I think he's going to start left tackle this year. I think Sean Charles Henderson is a bad football player. And there's no way he's going to – I don't think there's a chance that he starts at all. And so I think it's going to be Davenport left tackle, Rankins at right tackle, Nick Martin at center, Zach Fulton at left guard, and then Kelamete at right guard is how I think the whole offense line is going to shake out. But with Rankins starting, you know, weak point right tackle. Yeah, and I'd love that. That offensive line, I mean, we, the tackle positions are very unsure, but I really like the way the interior is coming together. Uh, I feel much better about what's, what's kind of flowing with the offensive line at this point. Yeah, me too. And actually, I can even see Calamente playing left guard as well, too, just because he's kind of more of a stronger brute guy. And I, I don't know how strong Davenport is right now. I know what he's been doing all summer. Hopefully, he's just been deadlifting and over and over and over again. And if he gets strong enough, you know, he has the feet to, to outside zone block. But I think Calamente would also be a good uh, matchup with him as well, too. I just think, I think Fulton's just the better run blocker for sure. And having that run blocking ability next to Davenport, I think, would be better uh, better suited in that way. But I think for sure Rankin starts a right tackle this year. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, you, I like Henderson more than you do, but uh, I like Rankin far more than Henderson. Okay. Yeah. I miss uh, Cameron Fleming. That's who I miss as well. The other question. All right. So the other question here is from Sacrifice 14. Uh, how do we expect the roster to shake out in 2018-2021? I think this year it's kind of hard to tell just because of the, you know, as of right now, just the regression uh, with Deshaun Watson's touchdown rate. If the Texans don't adjust their offense at all, I I don't think that I think they're going to be you know slightly better than 500 if they're able to adjust their offense and you know get you know be a top 10 offense and defense stays healthy I think they'll for sure uh, be a wild card team but that's kind of the big question there I think I still think Jacksonville probably ends up winning this division though with the defense that they have and how they've gone all in on uh, what they play and then by 2021 you had the the biggest thing that you want whenever you think about right now and extrapolate the future, uh, that's that far advanced too. It's stars and you have high-end talent. And the Texans have high-end talent. Uh, I don't think Watts can be playing at all then, but with Clowney, with Watson, with Hopkins, with Fuller, with uh, you know, some of the offensive linemen they have as well too. I think for sure you have the building blocks for your really talented team and you're going to have cap space again next year and, your first round draft picks and all that. So I think I mean the I think the future is, looks nice for the Texans and I think it's mainly because of Watson, but again, you know, that touchdown rate is such a big thing for me that uh, the Texans have to do things offensively to adjust and help them out. They can't just do what they did last year and expect for things to be the exact same way because that's not gonna work out. Yeah, my my go on this is that 2018 is going to be a very odd transition year for the team because we've gotten very spoiled by a fantastic defensive squad over the past few years, and I think that this year ends that. Uh, I do not see the Texans' defense putting up a top-ten performance. I just don't. I don't think we've got the personnel to do it at this point, and I think it really plays at the in the secondary 
Uh, and J.J. Watt, I don't know what to expect from J.J. Watt. I don't know how you can possibly know what to expect from him this year. So if you just look at the secondary alone, the, the problems that the linebacking core has, um, and, you know, we have D.J. Reader and Clowney are both going to be good. Whitney Merciless is going to be Whitney Merciless, which is going to be about 10 sacks and, and, and uh, holding the edge against the run very well. I think there's a lot more unknowns defensively this year. So I think what we're, we're going to see is we're going to see uh, uh, progression by the offense and regression by the defense this year. And I, I don't know what that's going to mean just yet. But man, I look at our cornerbacks and I just shake my head and say and just wonder how we got to this position. Mhm. Yeah, I I think the AJ Boyd thing was a disaster, and then the uh, name redacted trade was a disaster as well too. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of a, a big part of what happened in the secondary. And your guys get older and stuff too, and then you don't draft in the middle rounds that well, and then you put your draft capital with somebody like you know name redacted, and that's other players you don't get to keep around or go after. And yeah, you know, I I think it's gonna be just like it's a real. I think. It's, this year could swing so many different ways. I think they could go anywhere between, you know, six and ten to, you know, eleven and five, for example. I think it's going to be a, a strange season this year. From from as of right now, thinking about uh, how the, all, all the different outcomes that could happen. Yeah, I think you know nine and seven is where I kind of keep going, and but we don't know. I think if the offense, if the offense looks more like it's built to Watson's strengths, if it looks like we're going to go to more of a zone blocking scheme for the run game, that's a big deal. I mean, that's a really big deal. And, but I, and I also like what I've seen with the guys that we signed on the offensive line. I mean, we didn't get folder and I'm not upset about that. So yeah, there's so many unknowns heading into this year. There always are, but this year just seems to be a little bit more because we don't know what to expect from JJ Watt. We don't know what to expect from the secondary. So it's going to be very interesting. What is, wh- who, which Tyron Matthew shows up the one from 2015 or the one from the last two years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Those are good points too. Yeah. It's, it's going to be weird. Like I haven't really thought about you know records and stuff for this year. I won't think about that until we get to, you know, August and I really sit down and look into it some more and also see what other moves the Texans make. But um, as of right now, it's just all over the place. And you have know, Watson didn't have such a high touchdown rate. I'd feel a lot better about this year. So that's the one big, uh, big thing that scares me about this upcoming season. So we yeah. had we had two we had two more questions from a fruit Texan. The first is of, for you, BFD. Uh, of all the Texans draft picks, first round quarterbacks, whatever, whatever, whatever works for you. Who would you trust to produce a del- delicious Sunday roast for you and your family? And also, what kind of sides would each one prepare? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Oh, wow. So I'm trying to think. I I have to go with the Southern guy. I have to. I'm not taking anybody from Cali or from the East or, frankly, above the Mason (laughs) 61. I know. That's all totally racist. I'm going to go with Clowney. That's who I'm going to go with. He's from South Carolina. They don't really know barbecue over there very well. I can't think of a Texan who I can – throw in off the top of my head. I mean, maybe, maybe cutie. So I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to have to go with somebody like that to to do it. I I don't trust anybody from California or from above the Mason Dixon. Big Matt. What I would want to do is I would want to go to 
get a get a roast from Luby's with all the guys from Florida, and then take that roast over to Applebee's and buy a bunch of sides from Applebee's or whichever chain restaurant you prefer, and then drink a bunch of dollar margaritas the rest of the day. That's what I would trust. So I would go, I guess, Jordan Aikens. Uh, who else is from Florida? I don't know. I would go, I, me and Jordan Aikens and Jeremy can go to Luby's and buy a pot roast and then go to Applebee's afterwards and frost our tips and, uh, you know, stand and look at the beach. I guess that's what they do. Yeah, God, I didn't, I've never had good food in Florida, ever. Yeah, it just seems like chain restaurants and, and tans. Yeah. yeah. And lift your shirt off all the time. You know, you can't eat it all. You can't hide any of that. You know, it just turns <laughs> right. into a very, uh, very skinny person, you know. <laughs> yeah, with 14-year-old girls running around in string bikinis. And that make you mm-hmm. want to hurl. Yep. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't want to go to Florida. All right, the last question we have from UT is, which announcer is going to most horrendously pronounce Kike Koti's name as badly as I've done this entire episode? Is Phil Sims still doing games this year? No, he's in, he's doing the Showtime show. Ah, dang it. I'm going to go with Jason Witten. <laughs> I hate Jason Witten. <laughs> I've never even heard him talk, so I don't know. It has to be a color. I'm going to say Tony Saragusa if he got to do – like whenever the Texans play, like the Eagles, and Tony Saragusa is <laughs> in the game. And then Yakute you know, has like you know six touchdowns at this point, and Saragusa is gonna check the pro, you know, check the season stats, and be like, oh, I love this guy, and then just have a ham sandwich in his mouth and completely just drool all over the name is my guess. That that's a good guess. I like that one. Okay, well, that's it. We've taken up a, enough of your time. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, I want to I want to just throw a couple yeah throw a couple things out there to correct myself. So. Uh, Cutie had a 61st percentile spark, so it's pretty good, but it isn't great. His um, lateral abilities are pretty poor, so that's where he gets really downgraded. He does have the speed. And um, Jordan Thomas came in as a fourth percentile spark. I just wanted to clarify, make sure I had my numbers correct. So Cutie, they both got a downgrade, even though Thomas's wasn't much. Hmm. That's weird because I don't know. He, he, is it the same Jordan Thomas from Mississippi State? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because I saw he ran four six nine forty at the combine. He's six five two sixty five, and that's what Sparks all about, you know, high and speed or weight and speed, you know. Yes, but it's also got the lateral ability, which he does not. Have. Um. Okay. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. Okay. You have any other footnotes at all? No, I just wanted to make sure that I was I got my facts right. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for doing that. I know how easy it can be to just sit here and just say things and uh, talk and talk and talk and not have any anything. But we try not to do that. We try to be uh, diligent, hardcore, you know, knowers of the football. I don't know. But anyway, thanks Sexy. for listening live. Yeah. So yeah, don't get very <laughs> handsome. I'm smiling right now. I brush my teeth three times a day to to get over all the coffee I've been drinking. But uh, anyways, thank you for listening live. You listen live. Thank you for being patient. It's just taking us some time to get this show out there. Um, 
you know, the draft I think was very good and I'm excited for, you know, what these guys are going to do this year. And then just to that, as far as the show goes, we probably won't have a whole lot going on this summer. I'll try to come up with some show ideas here and there. Uh, maybe get diehard Chris on to talk about movies and uh, maybe UT we can talk about, you know, William Faulkner. Uh, you know, do something like that. Maybe just kind of like some fun shows with some of the guys on the, on the side who do other things other than watch football. Maybe kind of do some more, uh, you know, do a little bit of Texans news and some other stuff on top of it as we kind of pass on by, you know, this summer and, and through life in general. But uh, again, thank you everybody for listening. My name is Matt Weston. And thank you for being on tonight, BFD. And thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.